Chapter fifty six of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter fifty six The Vicar's Vengeance. No eloquence on the part of the two ladies at the vicarage or of the squire could turn mr fenwick from his purpose but he did consent at last to go over with the squire to salisbury and to consult mr chamberlain a proposition was made to him as to consulting the bishop for whom personally he had always expressed a liking and whose office he declared that he held in the highest veneration but he explained that this was not a matter in which the bishop should be invited to exercise authority the bishop has nothing to do with my freehold he said but if you want an opinion said the squire why not go to a man whose opinion would be worth having then the vicar explained again his respect for the bishop was so great that any opinion coming from his lordship would to him be more than advice it would be law so great was his mingled admiration of the man and respect for the office what he means said mrs fenwick is that he won't go to the bishop because he has made up his mind already you are both of you throwing away your time and money in going to salisbury at all i am not sure but what she's right there said the vicar nevertheless they went to salisbury the rev henry fitzackerly chamberlain was very eloquent clear and argumentative on the subject and perhaps a little overbearing he insisted that the chapel should be removed without a moment's delay and that notice as to its removal should be served upon all the persons concerned upon mr puddleham upon the builder upon the chapel trustees the elders of the congregation if there be any elders said mr chamberlain with a delightful touch of irony and upon the marquis and the marquis's agent he was eloquent authoritative and loud when the vicar remarked that after all the chapel had been built for a good purpose mr chamberlain became quite excited in his eloquence the glebe of bullhampton mr fenwick said he has not been confided to your care for the propagation of dissent nor has the vicarage house been confided to me for the reading of novels but that is what goes on there the house is for your private comfort said the prebendary and so is the glebe said the vicar and i shall not be comfortable if i make these people put down a house of prayer and there was another argument against the vicar's views very strong this glebe was only given to him in trust he was bound so to use it that it should fall into the hands of his successor unimpaired and with full capability for fruition you have no right to leave to another the demolition of a building the erection of which you should have prevented this argument was more difficult of answer than the other but mr fenwick did answer it i feel all that said he and i think it likely that my estate may be liable for the expense of removal the chapel may be brought in as a dilapidation but that which i can answer with my purse need not lie upon my conscience i could let the bit of land i have no doubt though not on a building lease but they have built on it said mr chamberlain no doubt they have and i can see that my estate may be called upon to restore the bit of ground to its former position what i can't see is that i am bound to enforce the removal now mr chamberlain took up the matter with great spirit and gave a couple of hours to the discussion but the vicar was not shaken the vicar was not shaken but his manner as he went out from the prebendary's presence left some doubt as to his firmness in the mind both of that dignitary and of the squire he thanked mr chamberlain very courteously and acknowledged that there was a great deal in the arguments which had been used i am sure you will find it best to clear your ground of the nuisance at once said mr chamberlain with that high tone which he knew so well how to assume 
and these were the last words spoken well said the squire as soon as they were out on the close asking his friend as to his decision it's a very knotty point said fenwick i don't much like my uncle's tone said the squire i never do but i think he's right i won't say but what he may be it'll have to come down frank said the squire no doubt some day but i am quite sure as to this harry that when you have a doubt as to your duty you can't be wrong in delaying that the doing of which would gratify your own ill will don't you go and tell this to the women but to my eyes that conventicle at bullhampton is the most hideous abominable and disagreeable object that ever was placed upon the earth so it is to mine said the squire and therefore i won't touch a brick of it it shall be my hair shirt my fast day my sacrifice of a broken heart my little pet good work it will enable me to take all the good things of the world that come in my way and flatter myself that i am not self-indulgent there is not a dissenter in bullhampton will get so much out of that chapel as i will i fancy they can make you have it pulled down then their making me shall be my hair shirt and i shall be fitted just as well upon that they went back to bullhampton and the squire told the two ladies what had passed as to the hair-shirt and all mr fenwick in making himself his hair-shirt did not think it necessary to abstain from writing to the marquis of trowbridge this he did on that same day after his return from salisbury in the middle of the winter he had written a letter to the marquis remonstrating against the building of the chapel opposite to his own gate he now took out his copy of that letter and the answer to it in which the agent of the marquis had told him that the marquis considered that the spot in question was the most eligible site which his lordship could bestow for the purpose in question our vicar was very anxious not to disturb the chapel now that it was built but he was quite as anxious to disturb the marquis in the formation of that hair-shirt which he was minded to wear he did not intend to weave in any mercy toward the marquis it behoved him to punish the marquis for the good of society in general as a trespasser he forgave the marquis in a christian point of view but as a pestilent wasp on the earth stinging folks right and left with an arrogance the ignorance of which was the only excuse to be made for his cruelty he thought it to be his duty to set his heel upon the marquis which he did by writing the following letter bullhampton vicarage july eighteenth eighteen sixty blank my lord marquis on the third of january last i ventured to write to your lordship with the object of saving myself and my family from a great annoyance and of saving you also from the disgrace of subjecting me to it i then submitted to you the expediency of giving in the parish some other site for the erection of a dissenting chapel than the small patch of ground immediately opposite to the vicarage gate which as i explained to you i had always regarded as belonging to the vicarage i did not for a moment question your lordship's right to give the land in question but appealed simply to your good feeling i confess that i took it for granted that even your lordship in so very high-handed a proceeding would take care to have right on your side in answer to this i received a letter from your man of business of which as coming from him i do not complain but which as a reply to my letter to your lordship was an insult the chapel has been built and on the last sunday was open for worship i have now learned that the land which you have given away did not belong to your lordship and never formed a portion of the stout estate in this parish it was and is glebe land and formed at the time of your bestowal a portion of my freehold as vicar i acknowledge that i was remiss in presuming that you as a landlord knew the limits of your own rights and that you would not trespass beyond them i should have made my inquiry more urgently i have made it now and your lordship may satisfy yourself by referring to the maps of the parish lands which are to be found in the bishop's chancery 
and also at st john's oxford if you cannot do so by any survey of the estate in your own possession i enclose a sketch showing the exact limits of the glebe in respect to the vicarage entrance and the patch of ground in question the fact is that the chapel in question has been built on the glebe land by authority illegally and unjustly given by your lordship the chapel is there and though it is a pity that it should have been built it would be a greater pity that it should be pulled down it is my purpose to offer to the persons concerned a lease of the ground for the term of my incumbency at a nominal rent i presume that a lease may be so framed as to protect the rights of my successor i will not conclude this letter without expressing my opinion that gross as has been your lordship's ignorance in giving away land which did not belong to you your fault in that respect has been very trifling in comparison with the malice you have shown to a clergyman of your own church settled in a parish partly belonging to yourself in having caused the erection of this chapel on the special spot selected with no other object than that of destroying my personal comfort and that of my wife i have the honour to be your lordship's most obedient servant francis fenwick when he had finished this epistle he read it over more than once and was satisfied that it would be vexatious to the marquis it was his direct object to vex the marquis and he had set about it with all his vigour i would skin him if i knew how he had said to gilmore he has done that to me which no man should forgive he has spoken ill of me and calumniated me not because he has thought ill of me but because he has had a spite against me they may keep their chapel as far as i am concerned but as for his lordship i should think ill of myself if i spared him he had his lordship on the hip and he did not spare him he showed the letter to his wife isn't malice a very strong word she said i hope so answered the vicar what i mean is might you not soften it without hurting your cause i think not i conscientiously believe the accusation to be true i endeavour so to live among my neighbours that i may not disgrace them or you or myself this man has dared to accuse me openly of the grossest immorality and hypocrisy when i am only doing my duty as i best know how to do it and i do now believe in my heart that in making these charges he did not himself credit them at any rate no man can be justified in making such charges without evidence but all that had nothing to do with the bit of ground frank it is part and parcel of the same thing he has chosen to treat me as an enemy and has used all the influence of his wealth and rank to injure me now he must look to himself i will not say a word of him or to him that is untrue but as he has said evil of me behind my back which he did not believe so will i say the evil of him which i do believe to his face the letter was sent and before the day was over the vicar had recovered his good humour and before the day was over the news was all through the parish there was a certain ancient shoemaker in the village who had carried on business in devises and had now retired to spend the evening of his life in his native place mr bolt was a quiet inoffensive old man but he was a dissenter and was one of the elders and trustees who had been concerned in raising money for the chapel to him the vicar had told the whole story declaring at the same time that as far as he was concerned mr puddleham and his congregation should at any rate for the present be made welcome to their chapel this he had done immediately on his return from salisbury and before the letter to the marquis was written mr bolt not unnaturally saw his minister the same evening and the thing was discussed in full conclave by the puddlehamites at the end of that discussion mr puddleham expressed his conviction that the story was a mare's nest from beginning to end he didn't believe a word of it the marquis was not the man to give away anything that did not belong to him somebody had hoaxed the vicar or the vicar had hoaxed mr bolt or else which mr puddleham thought to be most likely 
the vicar had gone mad with vexation at the glory and the triumph of the new chapel he was uncommon civil said mr bolt who at this moment was somewhat inclined to favour the vicar no doubt mr bolt no doubt said mr puddleham who had quite recovered from his first dismay and had worked himself up to a state of eloquent enthusiasm i dare say he was civil why not in old days when we hardly dared to talk of having a decent house of prayer of our own in which to worship our god he was always civil no one has ever heard me accuse mr fenwick of incivility but will any one tell me that he is a friend to our mode of worship gentlemen we must look to ourselves and i for one tell you that that chapel is ours you won't find that his ban will keep me out of my pulpit glebe indeed why should the vicar have glebe on the other side of the road from his house or for the matter of that why should he have glebe at all this was so decisive that no one at the meeting had a word to say after mr puddleham had finished his speech when the marquis received his letter he was up in london lord trowbridge was not much given to london life but was usually compelled by circumstances the circumstances being the custom of society as pleaded by his two daughters to spend the months of may june and july at the family mansion in grosvenor square moreover though the marquis never opened his mouth in the house of lords it was as he thought imperative on him to give to the leader of his party the occasional support of his personal presence our vicar knowing this had addressed his letter to grosvenor square and it had thus reached its destination without loss of time lord trowbridge by this time knew the handwriting of his enemy and as he broke the envelope there came upon him an idea that it might be wise to refuse the letter and to let it go back to its writer unopened it was beneath his dignity to correspond with a man or to receive letters from a man who would probably insult him but before he could make up his mind the envelope had been opened and the letter had been read his wrath when he had read it no writer of a simple prose narration should attempt to describe disgrace insult ignorance and malice these were the words with which the marquis found himself pelted by this pestilent abominable and most improper clergyman as to the gist of the letter itself it was some time before he understood it and when he did begin to understand it he did not as yet begin to believe it his intelligence worked slowly whereas his wrath worked quickly but at last he began to ask himself whether the accusation made against him could possibly be based on truth when the question of giving the land had been under consideration it had never occurred to any one concerned that it could belong to the glebe there had been some momentary suspicion that the spot might possibly have been so long used as common land as to give room for a question on that side but no one had dreamed that any other claimant could arise that the whole village of bullhampton belonged to the marquis was notorious of course there was the glebe but who could think that the morsel of neglected land lying on the other side of the road belonged to the vicarage the marquis did not believe it now this was some piece of wickedness concocted by the venomous brain of the iniquitous vicar more abominable than all his other wickednesses the marquis did not believe it but he walked up and down his room all the morning thinking of it the marquis was sure that it was not true and yet he could not for a moment get the idea out of his mind of course he must tell st george the language of the letter which had been sent to him was so wicked that st george must at least agree with him now in his anger against this man and could nothing be done to punish the man prosecutions in regard to anonymous letters threatening letters begging letters passed through his mind he knew that punishment had been inflicted on the writers of insolent letters to royalty and letters had been proved to be criminal as being libelous only then they must be published and letters were sometimes held to form a conspiracy but he could not quite see his way to that 
he knew that he was not royal and he knew that the vicar neither threatened him or begged aught from him what if st george should tell him again that this vicar had right on his side he cast the matter about in his mind all the day and then late in the afternoon he got into his carriage and had himself driven to the chambers of messrs boothby the family lawyers End of chapter fifty six